0: Book Six, Chapter Ten of Camilla. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Linda Vellwest. Camilla, or A Picture of Youth by Fanny Burney. Book Six, Chapter Ten Strictures Upon the Tun. The next day was appointed for the master of the ceremonies ball which proved a general rendezvous of all parties and almost all classes of company. Mrs. Mitten, in a morning visit to Camilla, found out that she had only the same cap for this occasion that she had worn upon every other, and assuring her it was grown so old-fashioned that not a lady's maid in Tunbridge would now be seen in it, she offered to pin her up a turban, which had come to next to nothing, yet should be the prettiest and simplest and cheapest thing that was ever seen camilla though a stranger to vanity and without any natural turn to extravagance was neither of an age nor a philosophy to be unmoved by the apprehension of being exposed to ridicule from her dress she thankfully therefore accepted the proposal and mrs mittin taking a guinea said she would pay mrs tilden for the hat at the same time that she brought a new handkerchief for the turban When she came back, however, she had only laid out a few shillings at another shop for some articles so cheap she said it would have been a shame not to buy them, but without paying the bill, Mrs. Tilden having desired it might not be discharged till the young lady was leaving the wells. As the turban was made up from a pattern of one prepared for Mrs. Burlington, Camilla had every reason to be satisfied of its elegance nor did mrs mittin involve her in much distress how her own trouble might be recompensed the cap she found unfit for camilla she could contrive she said to alter for herself and as a friend had given her a ticket for the ball it would be mighty convenient to her as she had nothing of the kind ready far different were the sensations with which edgar and camilla saw each other this night from those with which so lately they had met in this same apartment Edgar thought her degenerating into the character of a coquette, and Camilla, in his intended tour, anticipated a period to all their intercourse. She was received, meanwhile, in general with peculiar and flattering attention. Sir Sedley Clarendel made up to her with public smiles and courtesy. Even Lord Newford and Sir Theophilus Gerard, though they passed by Mrs. Arlbery without speaking to her, singled out Camilla for their devoirs the distinction paid her by the admired mrs Burlington had now not only marked her as an object whom it would not be derogatory to treat with civility but as one who might henceforward be regarded herself as admitted into certain circles mrs arlbery though every way a woman of fashion they conceived to be somewhat wanting in ton since she presided in no party was unnoticed by Lady Alethea Selmore, and unknown to Mrs. Burlington. Ton, in the scale of connoisseurs in these certain circles, is as much above fashion as fashion is above fortune, for though the latter is an ingredient that all alike covet to possess, it is courted without being respected, and desired without being honoured, except only by those who from earliest life have been taught to earn it as a business ton, meanwhile, is as attainable without birth as without understanding, though in all the certain circles it takes place of either. To define what it is would be difficult to the most renowned of its votaries as to an utter stranger to its attributes. That those who call themselves of the ton either lead or hold cheap all others, is obtrusively evident, but how and by what art they attain such preeminence they would be perplexed to explain that some whim has happily called forth imitators, that some strange phrase has been adopted, that something odd in dress has become popular, that some beauty, or some deformity, no matter which, has found annotators, may commonly be traced as the origin of their first public notice. But to whichever of these accidents their early fame may be attributed, its establishment and its glory is built upon vanity that knows no deficiency, or insolence that knows no blush. Notwithstanding her high superiority both in capacity and knowledge, Mrs. Arlbery felt piqued by this behaviour, though she laughed at herself for heeding it. "'Nevertheless,' cried she, "'those who shew contempt, even though themselves are the most contemptible, always seem on the higher ground. Yet tis only with regard to these animals of the ton that nobody combats them.' their presumption is so notorious that either by disgust or alarm it keeps off reprehension let any one boldly and face to face venture to be more uncivil than themselves and they would be overpowered at once their valour is no better than that of a barking cur who affrights all that go on without looking at him but who the moment he is turned upon with a stamp and a fierce look retreats himself amazed afraid and ashamed "'If you, Mrs. Arlbery, said the General, "'would undertake to tutor them, what good you might do?' "'Oh, heavens, General, suspect me not of such reforming quixotism. "'I have not the smallest desire to do them any good, believe me. "'If nature has given them no sense of propriety, why should I be more liberal? "'I only want to punish them, and that not, alas, from virtue, but from spite.' the conversation of the two men of the ton with camilla was soon over it was made up of a few disjointed sentences abusing tunbridge and praising the german spa in cant words emphatically and conceitedly pronounced and brought round upon every occasion and in every speech with so precise an exclusion of all other terms that their vocabulary scarce consisted of forty words in totality Edgar occupied the space they vacated the moment of their departure, but not alone. Mrs. Mitten came into it with him, eager to tell Camilla how everybody admired her turban, how sweetly she looked at it, how everybody said they should not have known her again, it became her so, and how they all agreed her head had never been so well dressed before. Edgar, when he could be heard, began speaking of Sir Sedley Clarendel he felt miserable in what he thought her inconsiderate encouragement of such impertinence and the delicacy which restrained him from expressing his opinion of the major had no weight with him here as jealousy had no share in his dislike to the acquaintance he believed the young baronet incapable of all love but for himself and a decidedly destined bachelor without therefore the smallest hesitation he plainly avowed that he had never met with a more thoroughly conceited fop a more elaborate and self-sufficient coxcomb you see him only said camilla with the impression made by his general appearance and that is all against him i always look for his better qualities and rejoice in finding them His very sight fills me with grateful pleasure by reminding me of the deliverance I owe to him. Edgar, amazed, entreated an explanation, and when she had given it, struck and affected, clasped his hands, and exclaimed, How providential such a rescue! And how differently shall I henceforth behold him! and almost involuntary turning to mrs arlbery he entreated to be presented to the young baronet sir sedley received his overtures with some surprise but great civility and then went on with a ludicrous account he was giving to lord newford and sir theophilus of the quarrel of macdersey with mr dubster how awake thou art grown clary cried sir theophilus a little while ago thou wast all hip and vapour and now thou dost nothing but patronise fun why yes answered the baronet i begin to tire of ennui. 'Tis grown so common i saw my footman beginning it but last week oh hang it oh curse it cried lord newford your footman yes the rogue is not without parts. i don't know if i shan't give him some lessons upon leaving it off myself The only difficulty is to find out what, in this nether world to do without it. How can one fill one's time? Stretching, yawning, and all that are such delicious ingredients for coaxing on the lazy hours. "'Oh, hang it! Oh, curse it!' cried Lord Newford. "'Who can exist without them? I would not be bound to pass half an hour without yawning and stretching for the mogul's empire. I'd rather snap short at once.' "'No, no, don't snap short yet, little Newy cried Sir Sedley, "'As to me, I am never at a loss for an expedient. I am not without some thoughts of falling in love.' He looked at Edgar, who, not aware this was designed to catch his attention, naturally exclaimed, "'Thoughts? Can you choose or avoid at pleasure?' "'Most certainly. After four and twenty a man is seldom taken by surprise, at least not till he is past forty, and then the fear of being too late sometimes renovates the eagerness of the first youth.' "'but, in general, your willing slaves are boys.' Edgar, laughing, begged a little information how he meant to put his thoughts in execution. "'Nothing so facile. "'Tis but to look at some fairer object attentively, "'to follow her with your eyes when she quits the room, "'and never to let them rest without watching for her return, "'filling up the interval with a few sighs, "'to which, in a short time, you grow so habituated they become natural.' and then before you are aware a certain solicitude and restlessness arise which the connoisseurs in natural history dub falling in love those would be good hints said edgar to urge on waverers who wish to persuade themselves to marry
1: oh my dear sir no
0: that's a mistake of the first magnitude no man is in love when he marries he may have loved before i have even heard he sometimes loved after but at the time never there is something in the formalities of the matrimonial preparations that drive away all the little cupidons they rarely stand even a demand of consent unless they doubt obtaining it but a settlement parchments lawyers no there is not a little love in the island of cyprus that is not ready to lend a wing to set passion inspiration and tenderness to flight from such excruciating legalities don't prose clary don't prose cried sir theophilus gaping till his mouth was almost distorted o killing o murder cried lord newford what dost thou talk of marriage for it seems then said edgar to be much the same thing what sort of wife falls to a man's lot whether the woman of his choice or a person he should blush to own blush repeated sir sedley smiling no no a man of any fashion never blushes for his wife whatever she may be for his mistress indeed he may blush for if there are any small feelings there his taste may be called into question blush about a wife exclaimed lord newford oh hang it oh curse it that's too bad too bad indeed cried sir theophilus i can't possibly patronise blushing for a wife tis the same then also said edgar how she turns out when the knot is tired whether well or ill to exactitude if he marry her for beauty let her prove what she may her face offers his apology if for money he needs none. But if indeed, by some queer chance, he marries with a view of living with her, then indeed, if his particularity gets wind, he may grow a little anxious for the acquittal of his oddity in seeing her approved. Approved? Ha! ha! cried Lord Newford. A wife? Approved? That's too bad, Clary, that's too bad. Poor Clary, what art prosing about? cried Sir Theophilus. I can't possibly patronise this prosing. The entrance of the beautiful Mrs Berlinton and her train now interrupted this conversation. The young Baronet immediately joined her, though not till he had given his hand to Edgar, in token of his willingness to cultivate his acquaintance. Edgar, returning to Camilla, confessed he had too hastily judged Sir Sedley, when he concluded him a fool as well as a fop. "'For,' added he, with a smile, "'I see now one of these epithets is all he merits. He is certainly far from deficient in parts, though he abuses the good gifts of nature with such pedantry of affectation and conceit.' Camilla was now intent to clear the history of the cotillion, when Mrs. Burlington approaching, and with graceful fondness taking her hand, entreated to be indulged with her society—' and, since she meant not to dance, for Edgar had not asked her, and the major she had refused, she could not resist her invitation. She had lost her fear of displeasing Mrs. Albury by quitting her from conceiving of a still greater, of wearying by remaining with her. Edgar, anxious both to understand and to discuss this new connection, hovered about the party with unremitting vigilance, But though he could not either look at or listen to Mrs. Burlington without admiring her, his admiration was neither free from censure of himself, nor terror for her companion. He saw her far more beautiful than prudent, more amiable than dignified. The females in her group were few, and little worthy notice. The males appeared to a man without disguise, though not without restraint, her lover's and though no one seemed selected no one seemed despised she appeared to admit their devoirs with little consideration neither modestly retiring from power nor vainly displaying it camilla quitted not this enchantress till summoned by mrs arlbery who seeing herself again from the arrival of lady alethea selmore without any distinguished party that lady drawing into her circle all people of any consequence not already attached by mrs berlinton grew sick of the ball and the rooms and impatient to return home camilla in retiring presented folded in a paper the guinea half-guinea and silver she had borrowed of sir sedley who received it without presuming at any contest though not after what he had heard from mrs arlbery without reluctance edgar watched the instant when camilla moved from the gay group but Mrs. Mitten watched it also, and approaching her more speedily, because with less embarrassment, seized her arm before he could reach her, and before he could, with any discretion, glide her to the other side, Miss Dennell was there. "'Well now, young ladies,' said Mrs. Mitten, "'I'm going to tell you a secret. Do you know, for all I call myself Mrs., I'm single?' dear law!' exclaimed Miss Dennell, "'and for all you're so old!' "'So old, miss? Who told you I was so old?' "'I am not so very old as you may think me. I'm no particular age, I assure you. Why, w- what made you think of that?' No, "'I don't know, only you don't look very young.' "'I can't help that, Miss Dennell. Perhaps you may not look young yourself one of these days. People can't always stand still just at a particular minute.' "'Why, how old now do you take me to be? Come, be sincere.' i'm sure i can't tell i only thought you was an old woman an old woman lord my dear people would laugh to hear you you don't know what an old woman is why it's been a cripple and blind and deaf and dumb and slavering and without a tooth pray how am i like all that i'm sure i don't know only i thought by the look of your face you must be monstrous old oh lord i can't think what you've got in your head miss dennel i never heard as much before since i was born why, the reason I'm called Mrs. is not because of that, I assure you, but because I'd a mind to be taken for a young widow, on account every one likes a young widow, and if one is called Miss, people being so soon to think one an old maid that it's quite disagreeable. This discourse brought them to the carriage. End of chapter ten recording by Linda Vellwest.